Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. Yay, I'm so excited for this one. Do I say that every episode? Maybe. Maybe not the grief one. <laughs> I really am, though. This one was really fun to work on. It was. And also a little disturbing. So, okay, we are going to be talking about the afterlife and exploring the big question that people around the world have been asking for millennia, which is what happens when we die? Yep. What happens when we die? There are so many different theories and ideas about this. Everything from nothing happens, that's it, to the concept that you and I heard a good bit, that we're judged by God Mm -hmm. and sent to reside either in eternal paradise or in eternal damnation, (laughs) right? Yes. So, (laughs) yeah, Uh. there's a lot to talk about here. And so maybe because it's such a big topic, why don't we start with how this was discussed growing up in our conservative evangelical churches? So what ideas of the afterlife were you taught as a young person? Mm, Okay, so... I want to start off by saying that like most topics we cover, we are barely going to scratch the surface on this one. We were inspired to talk about the afterlife from our grief episodes over the past few months. When we lose a loved one, where do we imagine that they go? Is there spirit in heaven? Is it here with us still? Or is it just gone? So in preparing this outline, I realized that my faith upbringing did not really prepare me for this in any meaningful way. Actually, I've had to undo a lot of the teachings that I got as a kid. So now I'm kind of on my own in figuring out what I believe about what happens when we die. So all of that to say, this has been a really interesting question to explore. I have loved thinking about this because my ideas about the afterlife were influenced by a lot of things I'm realizing, not just church. So I grew up in the United Methodist Church mainly. I had extended family who were Catholic, and then Southern Baptist was sort of the youth culture that I was exposed to, mostly as a teenager and in college. But those were the main denominations that I participated in as a kid, and there were pretty huge differences in how each of them approached the afterlife. So there was that. But then there was also popular culture and media like the writings of C.S. Lewis, you know, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, and he was big into heaven metaphors. So there were also the personal views of my family members, some of whom believe that spirits communicate with us. Others believe that we go to heaven when we die. I'm not really certain that I can articulate a theology of what happens when we die, if that makes sense, because All of these influences were everywhere. And so I truly don't know what the Bible says about this, I realized. (laughs) But the main things that I remember being taught about the afterlife as a kid. I would say that my earliest introduction to something happens to us when we die was the children's prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. Did you do that when you were a kid or did you hear? I know you didn't, your early years were not religious. I think I probably heard it in a Shirley Temple movie or something like that. (laughs) So I said this every night at bedtime when my mom was tucking me in as early as I can remember up until I was too old to be tucked in at night. But the gist is, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. 
And I've been thinking about that a little bit because that's kind of rough to teach a preschooler when you think about it. Like, I could die in my sleep (laughs) and my soul needs to be taken somewhere. And not only that, I have to ask for it to be taken. And also, what is a soul? (laughs) And where's it going? There's just a lot there that was sort of taken for granted, you know? But for the most part, afterlife wasn't a big part of my early religious upbringing. The most that I knew is that when our family members die, they go to heaven where we'll see them again someday. And hell wasn't even really emphasized in the United Methodist Church where I spent most of my time. And really heaven wasn't either. And I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I didn't learn about concepts of salvation and accepting Jesus into my heart until I went to a Southern Baptist church with a friend. My mom always just said that she was a Christian, therefore I was a Christian, and we were both baptized, so we're going to heaven when we die. And that was pretty much it. So I didn't give it a whole lot of thought beyond that. Heaven, I was okay with. I didn't really question it. But in my teen and early adult years, Hell is what became the problem, which we'll get to in a minute, because first, I want to hear what you were taught growing up. As you were talking, I was thinking of that song that we sang in youth group called My Father's House. Did you sing this? Which is kind of an afterlife song. Yes, but refresh my memory. I don't remember how it goes. It's like it is based on a on a scripture. I want to say a psalm about in my father's house, there are many Many rooms. rooms. Yes. Mm -hmm. But then they went on from there and was like, there's a big table with lots of food and we play football. Do you remember this? (laughs) No. My God. Now I realize I do not know this It's like this upbeat song about the afterlife. And we would sing it all the time in youth group. Okay. Football, huh? I have to watch football of in the afterlife? Uh. No, you have to play football. Oh, I have to. (laughs) That sounds more like hell to me. Sorry. A big yard where we can play football. (laughs) It does sound like the bad place. I agree. Okay. Okay. Back to to what I was taught or what I was exposed to. Yes. Like you said, and I've talked about before, I wasn't exposed to church until I was a little bit older. But as a young person, a young child, I was exposed to death really early and and pretty often, Mm. usually in really tragic ways. And I used to think that this was very typical Because I lived in a small town, Mm -hmm. so we kind of knew everybody. But now I've talked with people, even people from small towns, and I realized that it was a little unusual or maybe a lot unusual. Like, I could get really morbid and tell you, like, how many people I know who have lost parents well before they got into their teenage years. Like, lots of people I know who've drowned tragically. I mean, not Mm -hmm. like old people dying of natural death. This Mm -hmm. was like really disruptive kinds of community shaking death. And the earliest memory I have of this, I was five years old. That's not much older than Avery. Mm -mm. Five years old in kindergarten. And one of my classmates' dads died in a plane crash along with three other people. Yeah. Yeah. They were all pro golfers on a small plane. And that's not the only group of people that I know who've died in small plane crashes either from my community. Really, really wild stuff. And like I was saying, I can think of at least three of my classmates in elementary school who lost parents Yeah. before we got out of of elementary school. And I said this to somebody recently. Oh, yeah, I've been to way more funerals than I have weddings. And as someone who's not even 40, I realized that's a very unusual. That is unusual. Experience. I've been to a lot more funerals than, than weddings for sure. And I can imagine that would make you start asking questions about 
the afterlife totally. <laughs> at a really Absolutely. young age. Yeah. Yeah. Because what happened? So the ideas about the afterlife came to me. I don't even know if they were organically or how I got them, but there were a couple of things that resonated with me before I was ever exposed to the Christian inspired understandings of any kind of afterlife. That was the idea of reincarnation, hmm. that our souls experience multiple lifetimes in, in different bodies and different forms. That I got as a kid. Wow. And then, I know, and then the idea that our loved ones never leave us, that somehow they're here, even if we can't see them. I just got that as a kid. Wow. It just was true to me. And now the more I learn about how kids develop spiritually, they say before a kid turns seven or eight, they have much a much easier time connecting with their spiritual senses because they haven't been talked out of them yet. Mm. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, when I was five, I'm like, oh, yeah, we come back <laughs> and we never leave. Right. This hmm. contradiction. Somehow I could hold that as a little kid. OK, so I've talked before about my grandmother who died. I was very close to when, when I was nine and I had several very mystical experiences with her showing up. In my dreams, I could feel her presence with me in my bedroom. And later on, I'm talking just within the last few years, my mom told me that she distinctly heard my grandmother's voice not long after she died. Mm. So a lot of mystical stuff with her. And then I got exposed to all the evangelical Christian teachings about salvation and heaven. Yeah. And because of that, I just decided I must have just been making that up because I wanted it to be true. You know, I just remember, too, there was a light that came on when I, that I didn't turn on to, in my bedroom, too. And I remember talking about that, and I knew it was my grandmother. Hmm. So wild. So I was like, well, that must just be my mind playing tricks on me. And I just let it go. Okay, so evangelical theology is right. rooted in the concept of original sin. That all of us are, are sinful, like, even before we're born. And thus we are pieces of garbage that God should throw into the fires of hell. <laughs> but, but, but then Jesus, right? But then Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus was murdered. came to save the garbage. All right. This is the, this is atonement theology. Mm -hmm. Jesus, Jesus died, took our place as a sacrifice because we're pieces of crap. And as long as we acknowledge that and accept that that's true, then we get to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Yay! Yay! It's very much about avoiding hellfire. Very much. So lots of people get scared into being saved. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, too. But it's this, like, I. it's basically a magical spell that if you say these certain words, you will not go to hell after you die. And I've heard people call this their fire insurance. <laughs> I cannot. There, there's so much cynicism in that. Like, I don't even know if I, I know. believe this, but I'm going to say these words out loud so I don't Can't go hurt. to hell. Can't hurt. <laughs> yeah. And as a kid, I'm like, well, this can't hurt. You're just telling me all I have to do is say these words and then I will, I will avoid an eternity of being burned and tortured. So why not do it? Yeah. Why not say this spell? Yeah. I always wondered what the specific words were and if I had said them right and if oh. you know what I mean, like there's got to be All more the Billy to Graham this prayer. Yeah. Well, I was always very skeptical. Like there's got to be more to this. It There's something people aren't telling me. There's not just words. There's a handshake or something else <laughs> because this just feels too simple. I guess. I don't know. 
dear Lord, I'm a sinner. I feel like it started something like that. Mm-hmm. And, but it's interesting. The whole idea is you accept Jesus into your heart. So there's this idea of like the heart, the heart opening, mm. which is a concept that I think is very important, but it's, but it's based on the idea that your heart is, is closed or dark or there's something wrong with it. And yeah. Jesus has to come in and like clean it up. Okay. So we got to get back to hell because yes, this was a big concept in my in my upbringing. Yes, and I really had repressed this until I started writing the outline, and I have to share it because it's so ridiculous and so problematic. I can't wait. When I was in middle school, I think I was in eighth grade. I attended this thing. Okay, it was before our Halloween dance in middle school. This is what we went to before. This was our pregame. Like the same day? Like you went to <laughs> the, the dance right evening. after? Okay, okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it was this thing called a judgment house. Have you heard of this? I have not heard of a judgment house specifically, but I have a feeling I know what you're talking about because I think it was called Hell's fires heaven's gates and hell's fires or something like that where i <laughs> grew up and i i Whoa. think a lot of my high school friends participated in it but it sounded too scary to me so i never went but i want to hear what a yeah. judgment house is it is scary and i feel like judgment house is almost a false advertising to get people to come because they're not sure what it is at least with heaven's gates hell's fires you kind of yeah know. i mean you kind of know <laughs> yeah you kind of know okay Judgment House is a walkthrough drama. Oh, yeah. Okay. You, you know what? We love a good youth group skit. Yes. Um, it's usually in a, in a church building of some kind, and it's typically held around Halloween as an mm-hmm. alternative to haunted houses and corn mazes. Like, they really do false advertising around this to try to get people who are interested in scary stuff to come to church. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 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 I get it. I'm laughing so hard. It actually shows me how much I feel from this because this was so traumatizing. Okay. So you travel as a group through all of these scenes of people and they all die tragically. Okay. More on that in a second. Okay. And you are faced with the judgment of God. So you're walking through scene by scene in different rooms. And the big question is, did they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in time? (laughs) That's like the big thing. Okay. So I had to look this up because where did this come from? I had no idea. And I will say my church didn't do it. The Southern Baptist Church was the one that that hosted this. Yes, it was always alluding back to what Mm -hmm. you said. So in order to do this, you have to pay almost 500 bucks a year to the Judgment House organization that writes the scripts because it's a drama, right? Mm, Okay, mm -hmm. so there's all kinds of scenarios you might encounter in a Judgment House, and this is off of their website, I kid you not, quote. Oh, gosh. Okay. After cheer practice, after cheer practice, Okay, okay. Teenager Kate Davis and her younger sister Becca decide to go to a movie with Wendy and Abby Coulson. Abby and Becca had no idea that their worst nightmare was awaiting them in the shadows of the dingy theater parking lot. Kidnappers snatch the girls and kill their friend Justin. What? Where did Justin come from? Kill their friend in front of them? (laughs) Will SWAT arrive in time? Or will the girls' lives be lost in the wake of abduction? Wait. So... Is SWAT? <laughs> That's one of the scripts. <laughs> is is the SWAT team? Is that code for something? Or is are we talking I think about it's like a SWAT team coming in to like rescue rescue the girls before they're murdered? Too. Uh huh. 
Oh, yikes. Yeah. Yikes. So I'm guessing in this scenario, Justin probably goes to hell, is my guess. And like, we're questioning how the girl's going to, I don't even know. Okay. But that's the kind of crap, I almost said a bad word. That's the kind of crap <laughs> that you would be exposed to in that. Okay. You were 13. So like, yes. Oh. It's church members uh-huh. playing out these riveting plots. And the reason that I even went was because one of my friends from school was one of the actors in the hell scene. Yes. And as she mm-hmm. as we walked by, she just like waved at us <laughs> as she pretended to burn in hell. And oh yeah, you actually see hell depicted with flames and Satan in there with the horns and cape and everything. Oh, I'm not no. even kidding. It's so ridiculous. Graphic. And then it's graphic and also just like so stupid. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just so dumb. That too. And then of course there's a heaven scene, which I just remember as a bunch of people wearing white, like hugging each other. Mm-hmm. It seemed very boring. Was there a harp? <laughs> of course. And people were just like walking around hugging each other. That okay. was their idea of heaven. Okay. Okay. So you, mm-hmm. you go through that and then the end, you end up trapped in this room with the pastor of the church who's pushing you to say the right. sinner's prayer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you don't end up in a hellscape afterlife scenario. It's so, it's so manipulative. Right. It's all about emotional manipulation and fear and depicting this fictitious hell scene you know that nobody wants to be in haven't we learned that confessions made under duress or because of torture aren't confessions that are trustworthy (laughs) like that's why we don't use churches care maybe not (laughs) I guess They're not. just getting their numbers. Honestly, I'm sure that they keep a tally of how many people make confessions of faith at these things. I would not be surprised. Mm, so cynical. So I was all steeped this. in this. Yeah. 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 Like, mm-hmm. this is the environment that I was steeped in. But I will tell you, to my credit, that it never made sense to me. Yeah. I, this whole thing was just bizarre to me. How how could any kind of God who is loving do this mm-hmm. to their own creation. Mm-hmm. And even throughout all of that, my my idea of the afterlife was very similar to what I remembered as a kid, which is we're reunited with our loved ones in spirit. And mm-hmm. I just kind of kept that to myself. But that was very much my belief, even with all of that programming I was getting. So yeah, Judgment House, that was that was my exposure to hell. What you just said about having to keep your true beliefs to yourself that resonates Mm -hmm. with me a lot because there were I'll just yeah (laughs) I'll get to that in a second but everything you were just saying reminds me of a video that I had to sit through many times in my teen years because it was shown during this youth retreat that was held a few times a year called The Happening and I was very involved in The Happening from 10th grade up through when I graduated high school So I saw this video probably six or seven times, (laughs) but the video was called Without Reservation, and I looked it up because I was curious. It was made in 1989, and it feels (laughs) like it. It's a VHS tape, but the whole thing is available in its entirety on YouTube. It's really something. If folks want to go look it up, I guess we can link it in the show notes. I'm curious to know if any of our listeners have had to sit through this video too. But it starts with a title card. This is my favorite part that reads, quote, The following is an abstract representation of actual events and realities. What does that even mean? What does that even Basically, mean? Basically, this is a lie. This is a this lie. This is a lie that uh, we made up. This is something we made up of realities 
and events. <laughs> it's an abstract representation of realities. Is that a disclaimer? I think it's a manipulation tactic. Okay, so this feels very similar to your judgment house. The basic plot is a car full of teenagers gets into a wreck and they die. And then they're in this waiting area in a line and there's a clerk at the counter. And as they move forward in the line, the clerk enters their name into a 1989 computer and they either have a reservation to go up the elevator to heaven or their reservation has not been confirmed So they go in the down elevator to hell. And there's one kid in the car who's like, oh, I know what this is. And he tells all the others that if you accepted God and Jesus while you were alive, you get to go to heaven. And the other kids in the car are like, why didn't you tell us? We talked about everything else after all of our football games. (laughs) But we never talked about this. And the point is that it's the fault of the religious guy that all of his friends are going to go to hell because he never told them about Jesus while they were alive. So yes, he gets to go to heaven, but that isn't enough. (laughs) And as I was writing this, like researching this for the outline, it hit me because there it is, the root Mm. of my need to save the world. (laughs) I had forgotten, Katie, how much this movie messed me up as a teen. And like you said earlier, we're laughing now because we've done a lot of healing from this. But when I think about how much responsibility I took on my shoulders to Mm. help people, save people, get in people's business and make sure they knew Jesus (laughs) or I don't know. But I just look back and and think, okay, okay, I found it. (laughs) There it is. Whoa. Yes. That makes so much sense to me. And as you were sorting that out, it actually really helped me too, because I'm sure that I, I'm sure that I recognized some of this before, but it really is driving it home for me how much that white saviorism Mm -hmm. complex is intertwined with these narratives that we were taught. It's the same idea behind mission trips where people go and really are not helpful, but they're talking about Jesus. So they're doing this saving the world thing. And also that it's never enough. It's never enough. No matter how much you do, there's always somebody else who needs saving. Saving people is a way that we were taught to think about the world. Like we were told to write down people's names Mm. in a book Mm. of like who we were going to try to convert. People we knew. It's bleak. It's really bleak and it created, yeah, it created such a complex in me that I'm certain still is present in the way that I approach justice work. I'm certain because Uh it's a blueprint that we don't get to just erase. Like we have to completely dismantle it and do it over and over and over again because that stuff is so formative when you're a young person. Yeah. Wow. And it's reinforced in so many systems of oppression. Yes. There's a lot there. So can we pause and talk about hell for a minute? Because... Oh, yes. Let's talk more about that. (laughs) Interrogating the concept of hell, honestly, and who goes there was pivotal to my faith journey. So I kind of appreciate this. Looking back, I guess, in retrospect, I kind of appreciate this really stark, kind of ridiculous heaven and hell binary because exploring it deeper and really leaning into the part of me that was like, I don't know. That's really what helped me 
start to deepen my faith. So first of all, what is your understanding of where teachings of hell come from? Because is this actually in the Bible? I have heard conflicting things throughout my life that hell in the King James Bible is a mistranslation or an abstraction of a word that was like a real place, was like a a garbage burn pit or something. And I've also heard that our contemporary ideas of hell are very strongly rooted in like Paradise Lost by John Milton, you know, things like that, that it's not really a biblical teaching about heaven and hell in the way we think about it now. So what do you, as a, you know, as an this ordained like, minister, the preacher, yeah. ask the pastor. So believe it or not, this was not a focus of seminary. Oh, so, but I did do, I did, I've heard some things. I did a little bit of research around mm-hmm. this because I was curious too. And I'd heard what, like alluded to what you were saying around, it was an actual place. So I did a little bit of digging around it. Okay. And yes, in the King James version of the Bible and, and in others, there's a reference to hell, both in the Hebrew Bible and in the Christian scriptures. And it's a translation of a word that I think is like Aramaic and probably is Hebrew and Greek, right? Like they all called this place the same thing, like Gehana mm. or Gehana, mm-hmm. which is an actual place. It's a valley in Jerusalem, the Valley of Hinnom, and there had been a history of child sacrifice in mm-hmm. this place, and it did become a dumping ground. And I also read somewhere that certain people, after they died, would be taken there if they had committed some some sin. Mm. And so it was like a place where people would kind of put the outcasts of their things and also bodies and then light that stuff on fire. So we okay. do get the fire part here because there's like allusions to the unquenchable fire, mm-hmm. which is just in this place where like there's always stuff to be burned. So it did become a symbol of like punishment and being cursed, but it was not like an afterlife. It was a it was like a here and now place that you don't want to go. That makes sense. So conflating it with like where our soul goes is beyond a stretch. And the other thing that I was reading about is the King James Version translates another Hebrew word, Sheol, Mm -hmm. into hell too. Okay. And Sheol doesn't have the same connotations that Gehana does. It's like the idea of an underworld, like Greek mythology. Yeah. Okay. Where everyone goes. It's not this, there's not the same separation of like good people go here and bad people go here. This is just like where the souls go after they're no longer here. So it doesn't have that same negative connotation that our concepts of hell do. Okay. Okay. So you're talking about John Milton's Paradise Lost and like the images of hellfire and Satan and where did all of that start? And I knew that this was more of like a Middle Ages type thing with art. Yeah. Where we see Mm -hmm. this depicted. So I did some art history research too. And we don't really see those depictions until the 12th and 13th centuries in Europe, of course. And that's where we get like the doom pictures and the last judgment paintings. And then in the 14th century, we get Dante's Inferno Uh and the depictions of nine circles of hell. And then, yeah, we have Paradise Lost in the 17th century, which is like really big on Satan as a character. Yeah. So who do we have to thank? White male Europeans, of course. Oh, who'd have thought? Who'd have thought that they would come up with this crap? (laughs) Okay, so none of that is really surprising. I said earlier that hell wasn't a part of my 
early religious upbringing, but in high school, I was exposed to more and more evangelical teaching through my friends and the different youth activities I was part of. Not necessarily a judgment house, but (laughs) the happening for sure. And heaven and hell were a big part of that. And on top of the sinner's prayer or the accepting Jesus into your heart part, it also felt like more than just accepting Jesus, there were also a lot of rules about the right way to live. So there was no drinking, no sex outside of marriage, no swearing, no dressing provocatively, definitely no being gay. Like those were things that could keep you Mm -hmm. out of heaven, which Mm -hmm. all of that, all of that felt like a contradiction to me. Like, do you accept Jesus or not? And then if you accept Jesus, you also then have to do all of, follow all these rules and like what, so did the salvation not actually mean anything? Like it all just, that stuff. Maintenance plan. Yes. (laughs) That stuff really rubbed me the wrong way. Like where did all those rules come from and what did they have to do with accepting Jesus? And at first I went along with it all to fit in, you know, but to be real, I still did most of those things. I just hid them from my evangelical friends and felt tremendous Mm. shame about it. You know, like you were saying, you hid your true self. I did too. And always wondered, like, am I, I mean, in the back of my mind, do I get to go to heaven with all of these people? Maybe we have separate heavens. I don't know. (laughs) I, I tried so hard to believe what I was being told, you know, that heaven was my true home and all of this, all of life, everything here is just a precursor or maybe it's even a test that we're supposed to pass, you know? Which is like, I want to interject and say it's so problematic because yes. it basically means that all of this reality doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I know I held that belief for a long time. Like, like I can get through anything on earth because ultimately it doesn't really matter. Heaven is my and true like, home. Injustice doesn't injustice matter. Caring doesn't for the matter. earth doesn't matter. Exactly. Because exactly. we don't really belong here. And like, mm-hmm. it makes mm-hmm. me think about the fact that there were no conversations about social justice Mm-mm. In my evangelical church, zero. Mm-mm. There was no sense of like trying to make the world a better place for people to actually live in and not just thinking about like their eternal place they're going to go. Like right. there was no sense of like, let's actually make that or anything that was done was just a manipulation yep. to get people to convert. Yep. It was never just like, it's a good thing to just make this world a better place for people to live in. Yeah. Zero. Okay. Continue. <laughs> Even in in my life, in my community where folks aren't specifically evangelical, that concept of it doesn't matter because I won't be here to experience it or it's not happening to me, that feels very pervasive. Right. And it feels yes. like what's wrong with a lot of the way we approach, I mean, politics. And it's all in a very like what's in it for me uh, approach and it just feels very supported by that yeah theology of heaven is our true home so earth doesn't really matter therefore I can make a lot of very self-interested decisions in my life on earth because after that I won't be here to see what happens it right. just feels tied together yeah and like personal morality mm-hmm. is all that matters not how we not how we function as a community exactly exactly so all of this you know eventually, I could not shake these questions 
Because the questions of who goes to heaven, who goes to hell, by what metric, who decides, none of that ever sat right with me. Even when I was maybe saying the words or trying on that identity as a teenager, my whole life I have pondered the mysteries of the universe. Why are we here? Who or what created us? What is our purpose? How are we connected? What does it mean to live a good life? And deep in my bones, and I guess I would say now, I would call it in my intuition, I have never felt that the answers can be summed up so neatly into such a narrow binary. How did you put it? It doesn't make sense to you that any kind of God would do this to their own creation. I felt that too. The arbitrariness of it. The cruelty. We were taught that God was loving, but does a loving God condemn creation to an eternity of suffering for not saying the right magic words? Like, it just didn't add up. And so pulling at those threads of hell is what began what I guess you could call my faith deconstruction. By evangelical teaching, a person cannot get into heaven without first accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior, right? And the alternative to heaven is hell. So one of the most important books I've ever read is Anne Frank's Diary. I first read it when I was around 10 years old. It was very impactful for me at that time. I've read it many times over different life stages. Every time I read it, I get something different out of it. And the most recent time I read it was during the early days of the pandemic shutdown. Hmm. Every time I read it, I learn something new about humanity, about myself. My empathy deepens. It is a truly special and beautiful book written by a special and beautiful human who was also a flawed teenager like I once was. And honestly, like I still am some days. (laughs) And she was a Jew murdered by empire, much like Jesus was. But if you go by evangelical teaching, she's definitely not in heaven. She's likely in hell because she was Jewish and not Christian. And Rachel Held Evans, I remember reading this a decade ago. She wrote about grappling with this exact question. And we'll link her uh, writings on this in the show notes because they're really interesting. But I remember reading her words and thinking, okay, I'm not alone in this. So because of Anne Frank, I've never believed in hell. Just couldn't do it. And because of the heaven and hell binary, for me, that means I also don't believe in heaven, not as a place where Christians go after we die. So if I don't believe in heaven and hell, what else don't I believe in? And those were the main questions of my late 20s. (laughs) And those are the questions that honestly led me here, (laughs) you know? I love that Anne Frank's diary had that has had that impact Mm -hmm. on -hmm. you. It makes me want to read it again because I don't think I've read it since middle school. And it's actually not surprising that reading a Jewish girl's perspective on the world was what helped you deconstruct your idea of hell because honestly, most Jews I talk to, afterlife is not really like emphasized at all. It's very much about how we live. Yes. So Mm -hmm. that actually makes a lot of sense to me that reading – the thoughts of a Jewish person would help you get to that place. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, that's really beautiful. And, you know, I've said if, if hell is a place, it's right, it's right here. Right. Like where we are right now. This is hell. This yeah. is the dumpster fire. Look at how we treat each other. Like yeah. this is the bad place. Yeah. This is the bad place. How do you, how do you take in all the suffering that exists now 
and say that hell could be any worse, (laughs) you know? Totally. Absolutely. So we have talked a lot about what we don't believe. Do we want to pivot and talk about what we do believe and what is influencing our thinking about this now? Yeah, that became a very hell-focused conversation. I I did not realize how much heaven and hell influence the way I think about this stuff and really have influenced my faith journey. I just Mm -hmm. didn't, until we started working on this outline, I I hadn't thought about the ways that the heaven and hell concept and that binary have really shaped me. Bad ways at first and now good ways. I'm kind of grateful for it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And really specifically the depictions of hell, less so what heaven is like. It's more like you want to avoid... Hell, because every description of heaven I've ever heard sounds super boring. Super as I was boring. Before. Like, we all just sing together indefinitely. Like, there's abundance and there's rivers of milk and honey. Did I did that come from the Bible or is that from something there's else? There's definitely mention of that. I don't know if it's specifically talked about in an afterlife. But yeah, I never heard anything compelling. I think the only depiction of heaven I've ever seen that I was like, oh, was... There was that Robin Williams movie that he What made. Dreams May you know? Come. What I've dreams thought about come. this too. And I was like, oh, I see. Like there was some creativity there yes. in terms of being kind of co-creators yes. in, a, in a heavenly realm. And the depictions of that underworld are also really interesting in that movie. I didn't, I didn't really think about that. That influenced me a lot too. Me too. Okay. Let me get back on topic. I'm really bad at this today. Um, it's just because there's so much here. <laughs> I know. And it's like you uncover a little bit and there's uh-huh. so much under the surface. Okay. Afterlife is not the right term for what I believe mm. because for one, I don't think time is actually linear. Yeah. I don't we really act either. like it is. Mm-hmm. No, it's definitely not. And I think even in our own experiences, we can say like when time speeds up or slows down based on mm-hmm. what's going on, it's definitely not this like finite, linear, moving in a certain direction thing. So I don't believe that for a lot of reasons, and that's a whole different topic. But what I would say is that I believe in many dimensions beyond what we can see and hear and feel mm. in our in our physical bodies here. And my belief and my experience mm-hmm. is that the spiritual realm is right here. Mm-hmm. Like the framework of the other side or, you know, like Alice through the looking glass yeah. or... Yeah. The matrix metaphor, that resonates with me more because I actually think it's right here. Um, we just can't always perceive those those things with our human senses and brains. I think we can actually get little glimpses of that if we pay attention and we know what to look for. And that's something I'm just now learning is how do I connect with the spiritual realm? I think we talked about this a little bit before, maybe on the mysticism episode, mm. like how we can communicate with the spiritual realm. So that's that's a whole other topic. But so related to that, when our souls die, we're no longer in, and this is my belief, we're no longer in the physical realm, and yet we are still here in the spiritual realm as, as souls. Mm-hmm. And one of the people who's really been a beautiful part of my journey around this, especially early on, is Laura Lynn Jackson. I think I've talked about her before. She's an author and a psychic, and she talks about how the cords of love that tie us to our loved ones remain even after death. Mm. And she's a big proponent of asking our loved ones in spirit for signs. She actually wrote a whole book called called Signs, and it's stories of people asking and how those signs have shown up. And I know you and I have talked offline about 
how certain things remind us of our grandparents Mm -hmm. and how one of my signs from my grandmother is a Robin. And I don't know that I've talked about this before, but when I read Laura Lynn Jackson's book, I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask for a Robin to show up. And it was the middle of winter. I think it was January. So there's no Robins around. And I'm like, okay, how is this going to show up? And a few days pass and I'm like, oh, well, (laughs) yeah, this didn't work. Yeah. And then I swear, I was driving down the highway with my daughter in the car, who must have been maybe three or four. And, like, she said out of the blue, when are we going to see our friend Robin? And we have not talked about Robin for months and months Mm. at this point. It was so seemingly random. And yet, like, there it was. Robin Mm -hmm. showed up in this creative, cool way. And so I think sometimes you have to be open to how signs can show up for us mm-hmm. in different ways than we might imagine. And I just, I love the idea of our loved ones, like, scheming up ways to try to show us that they're around us and how much joy it must bring. Like, when we get it, you know, we're like, yeah. oh, I got it. Like, she got that one. Oh, that makes so me tear up just, a little. <laughs> right? Like, it's just a sweet idea. And even it if is. you think it's, even if you think it's crap, like, it makes me feel better to feel my grandmother's yep. presence around me in that way. Yep. Okay, We didn't really talk about the soul that much, and I was just alluding to it, but this idea is really fascinating to me. And I think it's implied in Christianity that our soul is tied to this particular body and this manifestation Mm -hmm. and this human experience, and that when this life is over, our souls are are forever with God. And honestly, I think a lot of the anti-abortion stuff is connected to this, too. Like, Mm -hmm. the idea that we only have, like, one One opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Uh I don't think that's true. (laughs) Uh I don't think that that's true. I actually think we come here embodied as souls many times. And the physical realm is where we learn and we grow as souls because the soul can only learn certain things by having a human experience. Yeah. Okay. So we come here to experience polarity and embodiment. And we carry some of what experiences we've had in previous manifestations into this lifetime, which can be like negative and positive experiences. And like, if you've ever reacted really strongly to something, like if you've gone to a place that you've never traveled to and you feel a sense of, I've been here, I know it, it feels like I have felt that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like some say that's because in a previous life, you probably lived there. Hmm. And I felt that way when I went to Rome for the first time. And I went to the Forum and the Colosseum. It was more than just awe. It was a sense of belonging that I've been here. Yeah, I feel that way in the Smoky Mountains. I've told you that before. Yeah. I have no connection in this life to the Smoky Mountains. But when I go, I feel a sense of home there that is very weird. Like, (laughs) I don't know another way of saying it. Like, it makes no sense to me. (laughs) Right. And we probably all, you know, have those or will experience that. It could be certain foods or or languages, mm, anything like mm-hmm. that. And for me, it's often when I meet certain people, I feel that. Like, I know this person. Mm. Um, I felt it when I met Matt for the first time. I was like, I know you. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 I know this person. And I honestly, I felt that way when we met, too, that kind of instant connection. Not that we didn't have to learn each other in this yeah. realm, but there was a sense of just, like, soul recognition of, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, we're, we're each other's people. We're yeah. supposed to be doing something together. And so related to the soul is the soul group idea that I think I've talked about before, that we are in groups with other souls and we play different roles 
in each other's lives based on what we decide we want to learn in this go round. And Mm -hmm. you can think that's totally bonkers and Mm -hmm. that's fine. I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) It's really been liberating for me to realize that we are all here with our own particular curriculum to figure out. And sometimes the people who have been the most difficult for me have taught me the most. And I wonder if like in the other realm, we're actually really good friends because that person agreed to come and be a total jerk to me and serve that role and help me learn something. I kind of love that way of approaching uh, compassion for people that we just cannot get like in the soul realm. Yes, you can be grateful for what you're learning from that relationship and how you've grown. And I feel like there's a there's an acknowledgement that like we're we're the same. We're made of the same stuff. And I love yes, thinking we're about interconnected. it. Yeah, even beyond like we're the same, but like we're actually really good friends in another in another form. Yes. Like our souls know each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like it helps practice a little bit of detachment. And this is something yeah. that I've been working on is how do we stay here in this realm, in these bodies that's real? And also that there is more than just this, like figuring out how to approach the here and now with a little bit of detachment so that we don't get so caught up in all of the crap of -hmm. of this realm that Mm -hmm. like we actually can live into our soul purpose if we're if we're aware like, okay, I'm here to learn some stuff. The situation is teaching me. Let me learn my thing so I can like move on to the next class. Mm hmm. It's it's honestly helped me a lot deal with difficult people. And I feel like if nothing else, that's making this lifetime more pleasant for me. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that's really all we can do. (laughs) Right. It's all we can do. So that's how I, in this moment, right now, Mm -hmm. that's how I frame this particular experience of being a soul here to have a human experience, both the beautiful and painful parts. And if you're if you're interested in this idea. There's a really cool book that I think I've talked about before called Many Lives, Many Masters. I think you have, And Okay, it's I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's this incredible account of the soul's journey around deciding, you know, what body do I want to have? What challenges do I want to have? What family do I want to have in order to learn certain things? And it really reframes uh, suffering in a different way, too. So I'll link to that in the show notes. You can go check it out if you're interested. Um, But yeah, I want to hear from you too. Are you like, Katie's crazy? Or (laughs) do you have a different understanding of this afterlife concept? So first of all, I do not think you're crazy. I love (laughs) hearing you talk about this stuff for a couple of reasons. Because of how much you enjoy it and how much it animates you to talk about it. I just, it's fun to talk about with you. I don't know if I believe any of it because I don't know what I believe is really what I've come down to. If Mm -hmm. I have to believe something about the afterlife and yeah, I don't know if I even consider it afterlife, but the closest thing I'm comfortable with is the idea of some kind of returning. And I, that's probably very Christian influenced. When I was younger, I liked the metaphor of a spark and a flame that the spark and the flame are the same substance. And once the spark is returned to the flame, the two are indistinguishable from one another. So essentially my soul and everyone others, everyone else's soul becomes one with God after this life. Like that, that was probably how I always thought about what happens after we die growing up. But I don't know that I believe that so much anymore because ultimately what I have settled on is that I have no idea what exists beyond this life. 
if anything. And I actually really love the mystery of that. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what I like about it is just accepting that I don't know. Sitting with the mystery feels like such a human thing to do. You know, by looking up at the stars and the night sky and wondering why we're here and what's next, I feel connected to humans throughout time. And in that way, the questions themselves, for me, feel more important than any answers. So Mm -hmm. when I talk to my son about his great-grandparents, my grandparents who died this year, I am as honest as I can be with him. I tell him, I don't know what happens to us when we die. I tell him our loved ones live on in our hearts and our memories. That much I do know. Some people believe they might be in heaven and we'll see them again someday. Other people believe that their spirits are here with us now. We don't have to know for sure. And that is pretty much where I land. I don't know. And it's okay. <laughs> we could have just said that one or two sentences. This whole, the whole podcast. We're here to talk about the afterlife. We don't know. And that's okay. Talk to you then. <laughs> I, I love that. Like just being able to be courageous enough to hold the mystery, I think is something that's been so pivotal for both of us mm-hmm. in our, I didn't even know it was deconstruction, but shifting out of yeah. the frameworks that we were taught into a place of, I don't know, and I'm comfortable more or less with that. And there's a trusting, I think, yeah. too. Of yeah. Just a sense of like, it's the mystery is fine. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to be. I mean, for all I know, there is a hell and I'm going there. Well, me too. We can have we can be together. Yeah, we'll we'll be together. That'll be fun. We'll tear it up. <laughs> you know, like I just I I can't know. So, I'm just not going to worry about it, I think. <laughs> we got our fire insurance. We're we covered. Got, yeah, we're covered. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, it's been fun too and I I have enjoyed just thinking about it. It's it's a really fun Fun and serious thing yeah. to be thinking about because all of it's connected to like a sense of loss too or a sense yeah. of time is running out. Um, and longing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the all the things that make this human experience what it is, the mm-hmm. beautiful and the painful part. So I guess we'll wrap it up there. Yeah. But this conversation inspired us to dive into a little bit broader related topic, which is youth culture mm-hmm. in the evangelical churches that we were immersed in in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Yes. Things like True Love Waits and Clown Communion uh. and The Happening and the Left Behind book series. Uh. So much to say. So, so much, much to, to say. say. Bad music. <laughs> Bad music. What would Jesus do bracelets? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't wait. I'll talk uh, to you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 